This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. It's often said that news media and publishing are under threat, whether it's drops in advertising revenue, forcing business models to evolve quickly, or shifts in the way consumers consume. Organizations are constantly having to pivot and do so at pace in order to survive. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and the capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. We'll explore how they're not just surviving, but in some cases thriving. I'm Lisa McLeod, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. I'm Lisa McLeod and I am a director at FT Strategies. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Rachel Arthur from Boom Saloon. Rachel attended two of our weekly programs, Digital Immersion Magazines in 2021 and the North Star Foundation in 2022. Both of these programs delivered in partnership with the Google News Initiative. Thank you for joining us, Rachel, and thank you also for joining us, Julia Grati, who is the head of Southern Europe at Google's online partnerships. Hi, both. Hi, Lisa. Hi, so nice to see you, Lisa. First, to set the scene, Rachel, can you give us a bit of background on Boom Saloon? Yes, definitely, and thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here. So to fill everyone in, Boom Saloon is a global movement to democratise creativity for good, which we do via our print magazine, community projects and creative studio. And we launched via Kickstarter in 2016 with a campaign that was 170% funded, um, although it's still a very modest amount to kick things off. Um, because for us, it was much more important to dive into building out a fledgling community to grow with us and start us on this journey of building a collective movement. And these are the people who we launched our first issue to, with print coming to be something that we were really known for. Our editorial interrogates the cross-section between the arts and creative industries and wider global issues. And we touch on solutions journalism to highlight examples of collectively pushing for a better future. Our writers and photographers are based all around the world, and we self-distributed globally before going on to work with various distribution partners. The profits from our print publication directly fund our community projects, which sit at the heart of all that we do, and they use creativity to inspire and empower people facing challenges. So these began with a live community block party in North Edinburgh, which provided a platform for talented performers, too often overlooked or undervalued due to a lot of personal challenges around substance abuse, homelessness, lack of opportunity and poverty. And since then, We've gone on to work on projects to begin to overcome challenges from forcible displacement to our current work to rewrite the story of dementia, further directly supporting over 50 individuals in the process. And then this work is further funded by profits from our creative studio, which pushes what's possible in print to create unique publications for a range of clients. So as you can probably tell from that explainer, our model is incredibly multifaceted. And it was built to focus on multiple revenue streams to enable us to adapt to challenging market forces and landscapes, which we have definitely seen a lot of throughout our time in business. Rachel, just give us a little bit more detail before we move to Yulia about what made you think of, of starting Beam Saloon? What was the inspiration? Ooh, that's a biggie. Um, so I dove into publishing and media with an idea of using it as a force for good um, and actually started out at 
one of the big publishing houses um, where I quickly learned as soon as the number of stakeholders involved goes up, um, it can become ever more challenging to do this type of work, which I fully understand. Um, but yeah, that led me to having to dive into creating something myself and building a team who all believed in this idea of democratizing creativity and using that as this vehicle to do good. So that was the real thinking behind it. And uh, yeah, I think really great things can happen when you bring together exciting creative minds. So to have a vehicle to use that to do good is a real privilege. Let's just talk a little bit about your participation in the, the GNI programs. Um, what encouraged you to apply to both, firstly, our Digital Immersion Weekly program and then the North Star Foundation program? So I think a biggie for us was that from day one, we really nailed our colours to the mast with the importance of championing print. Um, and I hope that we're always able to maintain this belief and this way of working. But from day one, I've been really insistent that it cannot hold us back. Um, and even in our short time of being in business, we've seen huge shifts with declining ad revenues, changes to GDPR, third party cookies. The industry is hugely volatile. And we've always believed that having these multiple revenue streams is vital to staying afloat in amongst this. And much as we relied upon digital to run our business and collaborate globally, in our first few years, this was very much an internal process. So we published nothing digitally. So recognizing the need to enter the space and operate in this manner, we also understood how tall a task that could have been for a potentially small team. So for us, having the support of others and a walkthrough of these trusted methodologies and insights, that was the real driving force for us applying, especially to DI Week, um, which ended up leading us through a full digital transformation, which got us where we are now. Um, and an additional layer that we've built on top of that which is of extreme importance to us and our ways of operating as a whole, is an understanding of the environmental impacts of this decision. Um, so we've tested and implemented our own approach to this to ensure that operating in this manner still aligns with our overall mission and ways of working. And we're ever mindful of our digital footprint and what we can do to address that now that we exist within this space in a much uh, broader manner. So there are lots of moving parts to Boomsloon and consolidating an overarching goal for the team in and amongst this was something that really came to light after doing DI Week. And I think that was what pushed us into North Star to have this real consolidation of things and clarity for the team to work towards together. Wonderful. Thanks, Rachel. We're going to come back and talk in a little bit more detail about the North Star work particularly. But before we do that, a welcome once again to Yulia Grati. Thank you, Yulia, for joining us today. Could you just tell us a little bit more about your role at Google and also the kind of work you do with magazine publishers like Boom Saloon? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Lisa. And well, Rachel, really, really inspiring to, to hear this. Well, on my side, I'm heading online partnerships, particularly in Southern Europe at Google. And we work with editors, mainly news and magazines, to help them drive their monetization strategy, but as well as supporting them globally on their digital journey. Because just as you have mentioned, there are so many things happening in the privacy space. Uh, you can also see the end of third party cookies and then subscription models emerge and then you have to, to actually to be able to juggle around lots of levers of your growth so that's exactly what we do 
Back to you, Rachel. One of your ambitions for Beam Saloon is to grow your reader revenue. And of course, as we know, publishers around the world are turning to the relative safety, if you like, of reader revenue uh, and trying to get it more away from the, the digital advertising revenue streams because of the uncertainty that comes with, with the advertising. But can you just tell our listeners a little bit about your journey so far? on reader revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This has been a particularly interesting journey for us, I suppose, because we were so known for print initially and we actually never accepted advertising. So that's never been a part of our model due to various different um, alignments with what we try to do. And so, yeah, in the very early days, we operated on a model that was at least deemed to be incredibly simple. Um, It comes directly from sales of physical publications. But I would say there is a massive caveat to that in terms of positives and negatives Um, because of elements of this are incredibly data heavy our qualitative data will never be as strong as it is when i'm at an in-person event and i can have a one-on-one conversation with one of our readers however other elements of this process particularly when working with external distributors are so cloaked in mystery it is unbelievable and Because of that, the reader revenue that this facilitated was vital, but often lacking in extreme levels of insight, which was a huge challenge for us. Whereas launching a membership model has been a wholly different beast. Um, So our experiments with paywalls and free access journalism, if I'm honest, kind of broke open our brains to this new way of thinking about what it means for our relationships with our readers and how immediate those could suddenly become. And what's been incredible for us is membership allows us to own all elements of our reader revenue journey. So there are suddenly numerous opportunities for bettering that connection with our readers, bringing them much closer to us. So I think managing and maintaining our relationships with them has been of great importance throughout this journey. And I'm ever mindful that our readers are paying to be a part of something much bigger. So it's essential that our connection to them is tight enough to ensure that we can take them along on the journey and empower them to be active members of this movement. Um, So they very much feel like they are uh, a part of creating this better future for all of us. Fantastic. Thank you. And and, uh, membership is a a very, very different beast indeed to the classic subscription model with a different set of rules, but but so valuable for those publications that really do want to get closer to their readers and and form a long-lasting relationship with them. So, Yulia, just in terms of of reader revenue, why is it so important in furthering a publication's journalistic goals? What is the role of reader revenue in, in the ecosystem? I'd say that any publication's primary purpose is to provide the reader with information and high-quality journalistic work. One thing that we obviously can't forget in this equation is economic elements of publication, be it through advertising, subscription, micropayments, or any other that would be a mix of it. So there are many reasons why reader revenue is important. I think today I'd like to call out two main ones. First, let's not forget that it allows us in the current climate to shift the pressure from pure advertising revenue, which has been and still is one of the largest drivers, well, especially today when the regulations and ecosystem shift in terms of data usage. The second reason that I'd like to mention today is that reader revenue relies heavily on creating a very unique value proposition. And in this setup, a publication offers such a privileged and differentiating relationship to the reader where 
this reader is happy to pay for this experience. So this prompts the publication to creating more of this differentiation and unique building of relationship with the reader. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, back to you, Rachel. I am really fascinated and interested in the in the next question. I have a an elderly father who is battling Alzheimer's at the moment, and I'm sure this is something that is close to many people's hearts, particularly when you, as we, as they say, you reach a certain age with parents and and uh, it becomes a, a, lo- a looming issue in many of our lives. So really love this, but you are you're very concerned about wonderful causes, such as, for example, rewriting the story of dementia. So so how did you actually build your membership model around these missions? What what is your what what was your thinking and how did this come about? I am really glad you've asked this um, because our project is absolutely front and center of our membership model, um, which I think was a big mindset shift for people to get their head around um, because it is very different to a number of offerings which exist within the space. So when you come to Boom Saloon, our members pay £5 a month to directly enable our community projects. That is where your money is going. In thanks, all of our members receive a series of discounts, articles and events. But we almost think of these as kind of secondary to the main positioning of this. What we're really proud of is that they're strong enough to be front and centre themselves, um, but we're kind of making all of it great. So currently our members, as you say, are directly supporting our work to rewrite the story of dementia. And what we're able to say is by giving us as an organisation £5 a month, you can directly better the life of another person, which feels like a quite extraordinary thing to be able to say. Um, So yeah, as you touched on, we sit much more in the membership and donation space as opposed to traditional subscription model, which just would never really have worked for what we're trying to do and why. Um, And interestingly, the model itself was shaped directly by feedback and input from our existing community. So before we launched membership, the only way they had to support our projects was by buying our publications or commissioning our creative studio. And we undertook quite an intense research project to drill down into exactly what our readers wanted from us, which has helped shape both our editorial stance, but also what we offer them in terms of their connection to our projects. And namely, that was a more direct relationship um, and the ability to be more involved with what they're supporting. So now we have our membership model, which offers a much more direct route to support this. Um, with many of the high quality endeavours we've become known for interwoven into this. And something that I feel really proud of is that it now feels much more like a full ecosystem rather than a standalone publication project and studio. Um, So that's been, yeah, a really beautiful outcome to come off the back of both these projects. It's a a beautiful outcome indeed and um, beneficial for those working for Boom Saloon as well as for the as for the users and the readers who now feel more invested in the product, which is a big win all round, isn't it? Rachel, one of the challenges for publishers, regardless of the model, is about scale. And uh, in the industry more broadly, many publishers have been chasing scale for a long time in order to try and monetize through advertising. But even in the hallowed halls of membership and reader revenue, you're still not immune from some of those pressures. And uh, as we know very well, and Julia will come back to you just now talking about the funnel and bringing people down from a high traffic sort of um, top of funnel right down to that very, very dedicated reader or super fan. 
how do you manage scale at a, at a niche uh, publication like Boom Saloon? What, what, what does that look like for you? Again, it's been a really interesting one for us without the initial reliance on the ad side of things. Um, much of this is hopefully about to come as we do another push on our membership now that we've identified two specific market markets to align with. But I suppose up to date, we've been putting a lot of focus on testing and tracking churn, which now sits at 5% a year after our first soft launch, which we're quite proud of. Um, so we feel like we have a really strong offering, which we can now look at starting to scale up. But when we think of scale, what's really important to us is how we approach this in the correct manner, because we're working to build a movement of people all around the world. So we need to remain mindful of how we reach them and how we grow that strategically. That said, we do have a number of initiatives we're about to implement, which draw on our knowledge for our existing members and how we can work with them to create a bit of a mushroom effect. So smarter than a simple referral model, but drawing on the same premise and further encouraging our community to have their say and make use of the agency that we present them with. And our sales funnel going forward will throw sharp focus onto both events and our soon to launch newsletter. So we'll be using both of those as tasters to allow our community to get to know us and what we stand for before hopefully becoming a member and further supporting this work. So there will be more on both of those side of things, the events and the newsletter coming from us soon. Fantastic. It sounds very exciting and we, we're very much looking forward to that. Yulia, while we're on the subject of funnels, uh, any thoughts about or tips rather do you have for publishers in, in helping to manage a funnel and, and and what stage do you think is the most important part of that funnel and, and why? Um, thanks. Thanks for this question. I think I can share a couple of tips here. So Google has developed a framework which is called News Consumer Insights. It provides a personalized approach to each publisher and it's based on the publisher's own data which comes through Google Analytics. Um, so this framework actually allows to address different stages of the funnel of the editorial site through two main axes. One, through number of visits, and second, through the length of the time spent. So first, how many visits do you have? How we can increase that? And second, how we can increase the time of those visits on your site? So outside of that, we try to group all the stages of the funnel specifically for the reader revenue under, let's call them, four forming buckets. I'd say first one would be, and very important one, getting to know your converts. This can come either from analytics or any other data points that you can collect. Um, the second stage that I'd like to call out here is working with your marketing assets. What is it on your site? Is it a button? Is it a message? Is it an ad that can push the users towards the landing page? And while we're speaking about the landing page, you can't neglect the importance of it itself. It's such a critical moment for any conversion in the, in the reader revenue of the funnel. It has to be absolutely optimized, prioritized in terms of user experience. And finally, the checkout process, absolutely. It has to be as light and clear as possible. There is one final stage, which is as critical, I would say, as the first one. And it's not part of this model, but I would still like to, to name it. It's the churn management. Um, and this is where I'm thinking of it as a loop. This is where we go back to data. Um, I don't want to go too deeply into this topic because it could be a separate podcast in itself. I think I'll just mention that 
if we're speaking about Google solutions, we have our cloud teams. They offer ways to collect different data points and they manage to build different models on propensity to subscribe or propensity to churn. Um, so if I can just sum it up and if I can call out one most important tip, it will be my first and last piece of advice blended together. Just collect and put to use all the data sources that you have to build a bigger picture. Absolutely, I agree. Every part is important and it's about picking the one that's going to give you the most growth at any at any given time and the right tools as well. Thank you for that. So, Rachel, we've spoken a lot about your business model. Um, you, you're very different in many ways. You've you've had a focus on print, whereas many of the publishers we deal with are very focused on digital or attempting to be very digital. But when you're thinking about your digital model, you've mentioned a couple of fantastic lessons, I think, for our audience, including actually doing audience research, asking a lot of questions about what your audience wants, which is definitely something that a lot of publishers don't think much about. You've spoken about identifying the market and making sure you're very plugged into that market and doing something quite distinct and different in it. You've got a completely alternative access model for the most part compared to many publishers around the world and thinking very closely about membership. And you've mentioned having low churn and good retention, which is which is really fantastic as well. But there's a lot going on. So you've, you've got a lot happening. And uh, my question is, how do you actually prioritize? How do you deal with the many initiatives that you've got going on? And very importantly, you did do the North Star Foundation Week with us. So so has that North Star methodology helped you to align and prioritize the things that you're involved in? Yes, definitely. To answer the last one, but I can come back to that in more depth. Um, to be totally honest, I'm always happy to be transparent about the journey of Boom Saloon. When we first started, we imagined everything would be nicely clear cut and we'd have three different strands of the model and we'd take um, four months to do each and everything would just have a perfect endpoint. Um, as soon as we got into working directly with the community um, in and around these huge personal challenges, we quickly realized there's no way that each and every project will run to the same time frame, And there's no way that we will ever be willing to rush one to make that happen. Um, when you start to become a true part of these people's lives, who we have the privilege of collaborating with, um, it just, the rub of trying to say, well, you know, can you hurry up so we can meet our print deadline for the next publication? It just wasn't going to suit. Um, so that was a huge learning for us and, again, fed into really testing the flex of the business model and how adaptable we could be to different things that may crop up along the way. Um, but in and amongst that, having clarity of vision and still having something to work towards has been vital. And that's a large part of why the North Star framework has been so great for us. Um, there are small things that we've implemented off the back of it. There are huge things that we've implemented off the back of it. Um, but I think for the team as a whole, it's proved vital to better understand how their individual roles can collectively feed into something that's much bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, so we now have a weekly all-team status meeting where everyone shares the latest developments of their work, but it's done directly through the lens of our shared North Star. Um, and we'll do the likes of talking about how we further refine our editorial to align with our overarching mission, 
whilst balancing our stance and the wants for our readers and wider community. But we'll also discuss whether our events are stretching these important conversations, getting them to more people, and how our members can feel more directly engaged with this work. Um, which is a simple build from how we ran these types of meetings previously, but it does serve as a constant reminder to all of us in terms of what our role is within the shared journey. And again, creates that kind of framework when there are so many spinning plates amongst all of what we do. I can imagine and more broadly, I mean, coming into the programs, would you would you say that, um, you know, there was a big takeaway for you from from the programs, perhaps from working with the other cohorts or, or just the, the content of the programs themselves? What, 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 what was a good takeaway for you? I think I'll always find it incredibly refreshing to be reminded that we all face many of the same challenges and obstacles. So whether you're a mass legacy media brand or a fledgling new startup, you know, we've spoken about how our offering is is quite different, um, but I think largely a lot of us are undertaking a similar journey within the space. We're finding those great stories. We're working to get them out there to an audience we hope to convert and retain. We all believe this is vital for the world and we need to find a way for this to be more sustainable so that we can continue to do it and do it better. Um, you know, I started out as I touched on before, one of the Condé Nast titles before moving heavily into the independent magazine publishing space. And I still find it unbelievable how siloed those two different worlds are because I think they both have so much to learn from each other. Um, so yeah, a lasting takeaway for me would be the insight into how much potential for knowledge exchange exists between the two. And I hope that that's something that we'll see more of going forward. And the likes of these programs are so great for because they just throw you all into the same pot. Exactly. So you do end up learning a lot from peers and getting inspired. And I do agree with you. It is always so great to realize that there's so much upside in publishing and, and so many unexplored opportunities. Yulia was mentioning e-commerce earlier, for example, which uh, is still very much in its infancy for publishers. And it would be so interesting to see how that that pans out in the future as well, particularly for magazine publishers. Yulia, Google has a number of different tools that are designed to help publishers with their reader revenue models. Perhaps you'd like to talk a little bit about subscribe with Google, for example. Of course. Well, we all know that subscribing can be a really frustrating experience for users. And it can result in a loss of potential opportunities for, for, for the editors. Even though today we know that the readers are more willing than ever to, to pay uh, for content. So this is where the main problem lies on how to provide this service and how to make it as seamless as possible. So publishers have asked us to help simplify this experience and help them convert those readers into subscribers. And this is how a subscribe with Google was launched back in 2018. Um, if I can just say very briefly what it is, um, it's, it's a set of technologies that Google has blended together for editors, mainly for, for news and editorial industry, to make sure that uh, their readers can easily purchase any digital subscription using their own Google account. And that way, any paid subscription can be acknowledged directly, either on the publisher side or in their Play apps or anywhere on the app. So overly, it just dramatically simplifies the login and payment process. 
any moments which can create the bottleneck in this process when someone will subscribe to a news publication. So people can use their Google accounts uh, details and payment methods to subscribe across the web. And this way, there is no need to do an account registration, to memorize any passwords or to enter credit cards, just making this all very easy and seamless for users and for publishers to use on their sites. What final bit of advice do you have for publishers like Beam Saloon and, and some of the smaller publishers that take part in our weeklies particularly? From what I have heard today, Boom Saloon is doing just an incredible work and I have looked at your site and it's just, I'm absolutely in love with it. I also understand it's here to, to promote more of your offline editorial business. So it's a little bit difficult for me to give the advice on very something very digitally orientated, but I will still try. Let's maybe call out a couple of points um, outside of everything that I've mentioned today. Maybe the first one would be having a very solid and specific vision and understand what exactly defines your value proposition, what makes you stand out. And this seems exactly to be what Boom Saloon is doing. The second point I'd like to mention is knowing your audience. I know I have spoken about the data, but it is really, really important to have this fullest understanding of where your audience is coming from. Why do they stay uh, on your site or any part of your publication? What makes them convert? What makes them leave in the end? And finally, just because the publication of a smaller size, I think it offers a really an amazing opportunity in terms of experimenting. It's very easy for you to experiment with formats, but also models. What I was thinking about looking, for instance, on your site is that you could use this to your advantage to create more engagement, for instance, through formats like podcasts. I have seen you have implemented some models of um, some, some sort of e-commerce where someone can actually buy something. What would be also interesting, for instance, you have amazing high quality images. Maybe someone would actually like to purchase that. So that could be um, a second point that I wanted to call out. And finally, just having such a small and engaged community why not experiment and play with it offline through some sort of events or, or gathering? Or why not an exhibition or a talk? Thank you so much, Yulia. Perhaps we could just end with one more for you, Rachel, if you wouldn't mind. What kind of uh, perhaps just one piece of strategic advice you would have for your peers? And may maybe that could take the form of something that you know now that you would wish you had known before you got successful at uh, the publishing game and, and, and got where you are with Beam Saloon. Tell us what you would tell them. Oof. Again, that's a biggie to end on. Um, I think the mindset that's required to, how will I say this, roll with the punches of um, existing yeah. within this industry and landscape is of vital importance. And I think in particular, looking back over these two programs, it's spoken about a lot when you're in the thick of it. But I think beforehand, it's rarely touched upon. It can be such a huge shift to evolve and grow within this space while still staying true to everything that you stand for and your mission. Um, and yeah, a big, I suppose, piece of advice. Um, not that <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of advice, but I'll put it out there. Um, would be ensuring that there's the time and space for you and your team 
to change that mindset and evolve that mindset whilst holding on to why you're doing any of this in the first place. Very, very good advice indeed. And um, can I thank you both again for taking part in our podcast today? Thank you, Rachel Arthur, again, the founder and editor at Boom Saloon, and Julia Grati, head of Southern Europe at Google's online partnerships. We really loved having you on the podcast today. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on each of our new episode of The Turning Point. You can find the links on Spotify, iTunes, or of course via the FT Strategies website, which is ftstrategies.com. And for more strategies and tactics that publishers and the wider media are adopting to not just survive, but thrive, you can subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter as well. Our executive producer today was Harney Chakes. My name is Lisa McLeod. And that was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.